Well, if we don't define reality carefully, it's going to be defined for us. That's a, a value of singing songs together, of, of the praise portion of our worship time. Uh, God doesn't need reminded of the things that we sing. You know, he's not up there just kind of wondering, you know, oh my goodness, this, this death thing is a real issue. What, what's what, what's going to be done about that? And then simply because we're singing, he's like, oh, that's right, I d- I've done something about that. And so it's, you don't have to worry about that anymore. That's, that's not how it works. We need to remind ourselves of the things that we sing. We need to be uh, invited into things, as we sung especially in this last song as well, uh, and being um, drenched in his love and even the step beyond that to be lost in his love. Because the reality is, if we don't define reality carefully, it will be done for us. And so with that, a reality is, is that the simple fact that we are sitting here today, right now, or whether you're gathering online or it's watched at a later point in time, just that simple reality is a reminder of God's his power, his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his pursuit of us. And I understand these are things that we know, but yet I think we would do well to remind ourselves of it more from the things that he has brought us out of or the things he's working out in our lives. But then it's not just for us to remember it, but it's also remember that that's an invitation extended to those who are not in a relationship with the Lord yet either. Because I don't know about you, but if God can bring about change in my life to get me to follow him, that gives me a lot of hope for other people. We need to remind ourselves of these things because we can have such difficulty um, just being present. You see, we have a a natural bent, uh, all of us do, uh, in one of three ways. Some of us have a little bit of a natural bent toward things in the future, Uh, the next thing that we're looking forward to. It could be the next day. It could be uh, later on in the year. Uh, could be something we've been saving for, something we're looking forward to doing with our family. And, and those things, that's not a bad thing at all. But yet, if that's where our natural bent is, and if we don't kind of keep that in check, it can rob us of, of the present. Some of us have a, a bent toward things in the past. We remember, uh, maybe it's the good old days we remember, or maybe it's things that we remember continuously uh, perhaps that we've done in our past or things that have been done to us. In our mind, it's like it just automatically just gravitates back toward that. And uh, again, that's not an inherently bad thing, but yet if that becomes so dominant in our lives, then we get blocked out to the reality of the present right now or even the future. And some of us have a bent more toward the present. And while that is, uh, again, just how it is, it's not necessarily good nor bad, it's just how we have a natural bent, but yet we can be so focused on the present, and it's like the, the here, right here, and now present, and we can become so um, fixated on how we want it to make it the best it could ever possibly be, or we can be down in the dumps because it's almost, it seems like it's the worst it could possibly be, and we want to escape it in some way. We have these poles, and, and you know, we can be pulled in all three of those ways as well. We just kind of have a natural inclination toward one of them. And because that is true, I want to invite you to do some things with me here this morning. And the first thing that I want us to do is I want us to simply breathe together. 
All right, we're just going to take some time. We're just going to take a deep breath in and hold it and let it out. We're going to do that a couple more times. Let's breathe in and hold it and breathe it out and breathe it in and breathe it out. You see, when we attune to our breath, it has a way of bringing us to the present moment. Um, it's something that I try to do with our kids, especially when they're young, because uh, I don't know if your kids are like mine, and every once in a while they have difficulties. And when they're worked up in hysterics, especially when they're really young, and it's almost like not much will console them or calm them down, so we've tried to work with them to even in those moments, or even if we come alongside and help them just like, let's just simply breathe, because they're just, in, our, in some terminologies, have like flipped their lid, and they're just losing it. It's just what happens. But the reality is that as adults, we can do that too. It just looks a little bit different. We disguise and we mask it. And so there's such value in simply the act of, of breathing. And when I do that, what I often think about and my mind goes to is the first time that breath and breathing is ever mentioned in Scripture. You're familiar with it. Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord God took some earth, some clay, and he, he molded it into this shape, and then he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life and became a living creature. And so it's this aspect of where we return to our breath in the present, but it can remind us of some things in the past as well. And we need to blend these things together. I, I want to encourage you and invite you to remember with me now, as we've just stepped into the present. I want us to step into the past, and I want you to think about what happened a month ago. And I know some of you are thinking, I've slept since then, and I... I don't know what happened a month ago, and I, I'm right there with you. That's kind of sometimes my go-to, especially when somebody asks me something. It's like my mind just goes blank. But a month ago, maybe even to the date, not necessarily the day, but the date perhaps, uh, was the storm that, I mean, blew through like quite literally, like the 80-mile-an-hour wind type thing. Does anybody remember that day? So now we know where we were a month ago. Uh, how many of you lost power that day? Just out of curiosity. Several of you? Okay. Shall we have a contest for who was out power for the longest? Like anybody longer than like six hours? Okay. More than 24? Okay. Anybody beat 24? Here, 24, 4, 4. I'm not a... <laughs> 24 hours. Okay. Some, some were... That's a long time. Some were out uh, days. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was interesting in that time because we are so accustomed to artificial light, Right? Now, artificial light's not bad, but a cool thing about darkness is uh, it reminds us how precious light really is. I mean, you take just a pitch black room, and then you bring in a solitary candle, there's something mesmerizing about that. And, and my wife and I, we don't do this uh, perfectly by any means, but we, we do really seek to take, for example, Deuteronomy 6 uh, very seriously and be attuned to... Uh, teaching moments with our kids. 
And when all the power was out, and we do this at other times too, but it was, it was cool just to sit there in the darkness, and that was during the time of Advent. And Advent, if you remember, it's a time it starts with uh, looking forward to the return of Jesus, and then we progress through getting ready to celebrate the miracle of the incarnation. But during Advent, it's really a time where we can just acknowledge the reality of the darkness. And we live in a broken and fallen world, but that does not have the last word because Jesus came once in the flesh and he will return and we're moving forward to Christmas Day when we can celebrate the miracle of the incarnation. And so we try and take those times with our kids and as we're sitting there and it's, it's pitch black just like other houses were, and so we light a candle and we talk a little bit and, and we light another candle and we, we're just seeking to talk to them and we just talk about the reality of darkness and how, honestly, it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, oftentimes when we're young, we're afraid of the dark, right? Um, you can be afraid of the dark as a parent, too, or an adult. That's okay. Um, but, it, again, even just a single solitary candle just totally transforms a room. And, again, there's nothing wrong or bad about... Um, False lights, fabricated lights, manufactured lights. I'm not exactly sure how to label those or what I said earlier. Uh, there's nothing bad about them, but we just become so accustomed to them, and it's like it's always at our fingertips. We forget what darkness is like. And, and if, you, if you think, you're just like, I don't know what Brent's really talking about here. I, I guarantee you, or maybe this is a test. The next time the power goes out, just watch yourself how many times you go into a room and flip a switch. We are so accustomed to simply having light at our fingertips. And so there's something beautiful about being able to just sit and acknowledge the darkness. And, and it, was, it, was pretty, it was really a pretty precious moment as we were going through that because leading up to uh, supper and, and everything, getting things ready because it drastically altered what the supper plans were. And so you just kind of like get what, you know, what's in cans or in the leftovers and you can't heat it up. So it, it just alters things. And it was there was just some difficulty in our home for a while, and as we're sitting there and we're lighting the candles and we're talking to them and the kids are having some difficulties, and then one of them speaks up and says, you know what, I really think we should just, just sit here and just be thankful about some things from our day. And the kid, helping to take the lead there, shifted the atmosphere of the whole table for everybody else. It was just this precious, sweet moment of being reflective, being thankful, talking about darkness and light, because we're in the season at that point in time looking forward to the true light which was coming and had come in to the world. So there's value in remembering, but even in that we're remembering the past, but we're looking forward to things in the future as well. And this is the last thing I want to invite you into here in the early part of this sermon anyway, is just, just to ponder, to look toward the future a little bit. And I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 21. Um, you don't necessarily have to turn there. It's, we've been here a few times recently uh, with reading the New Testament last year. But I just want, I, I invite you to listen and, and pay attention to what, what stands out to you uh, in this list that I'll read from uh, here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and be with his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, that's certainly a future worth pondering, not at the expense of the present, but it's something that we are being drawn toward. And so I would encourage you to, even now or, or later in the day or even this week, just return even to that text and, and the things that, uh, or the thing that was standing out to you as you were going, or I was going through that. And, and I'm going through this because the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we are called to li live fully in the present while tethered to both the past and the future. It's simple to say, it's extremely difficult to do. And, and I do mean tethered in the sense of, of what the word actually is. We're, we're, we're tethered to a point, and that restricts our movement, both here as well as what we're tethered to in the future. And this really is a significant thing because this taps into uh, aspects of identity. And, and Garen is getting ready to go into uh, this series on identity this coming week. And so hopefully I'm going to say some things of value and also lead into that a little bit. But you see, identity is so crucial because the reality is when we know who we are, we know what to do. When we know who we are, we know what to do. A difficulty is, is oftentimes we don't know who we are or we've forgotten who we are or we have some things uh, that are, seem to be more prominent and that we think that is our identity and that's not really the case at all. Now, I don't know what all Garen is going to talk about in this upcoming series. I'm looking forward to it. But I do want to kind of move us in that way and, and even with this aspect of being tethered to things as we go back here, being tethered uh, to live fully in the present, uh, being fully in the present while tethered to the past and pulled into and tethered into the future, just a couple things as far as identity and what we could see there scripturally is that we remember in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, how we are humanity, both male and female, created in the image of God, right? So that's a tethering point for us. That is very, very significant. Now, Garen will be talking about our identity in Christ, and that's very significant as well. So he'll be dealing more with that. But we don't want to forget the reality that Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, our other tethering, is that we are destined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. The same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1, Paul says we're being conformed into that image in, Gen in Romans chapter 8 as well. And so those are the, our tethering points. That gives us some stability because we all know that in between that point in time, life is kind of like this, right? We're just kind of going this way and that and every, straight every once in a while. And sometimes we find out straight actually was kind of crooked because it wasn't quite in line with what God desired for us. Life's difficult, Right? It's a blast. Sometimes I don't think it is. It's a drag sometimes. It's why we need to have these, these tethering things and lean in to those. And so I want, what I want to do here in, in this time is I want to go through some things from, uh, from Matthew chapter 2, specifically dealing with epiphany. Now, if you're not familiar with what epiphany is, uh, it just flows out of Advent. So Advent starts with looking forward to the return of Jesus, leads up to uh, the miracle of the incarnation on Christmas Day. We celebrate that for 12 days because it's too big to be contained for a single day. And then January 6th is Epiphany. And Epiphany is significant because what that is and how the church calendar has been organized is that's the, the revelation, the acknowledgement of the Christ child by Gentiles, which is a great thing. 
Because as I look around here and I look in the mirror, I don't see much ethnic Jewish blood in me. Because I'm a Gentile. And a Jew, according to Paul in the New Testament, but we're not going there this morning. So, anyway, uh, but with that, I want to read from Matthew chapter 2. So, if you haven't turned there, I invite you to uh, turn there. And we'll read uh, the first 12 verses. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that, went, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What I'm going to share with you this morning is some things that came to light with me on Epiphany uh, Day this past year, uh, earlier this year, I should say, uh, that I'd never really seen before, or maybe just at that point in time, just some dots were connected for me. And it happened in in real time with with my family, and it was really pretty precious because um, that wasn't my plan for the day. We pay attention to special days on the, on the church calendar, and we seek to do things with our family to try to ingrain things in them that are going to be uh, necessary for the long haul of following Jesus. And, um, and for some reason, Epiphany just wasn't on our radar this year, wasn't on mine. And so I had plans for the day. And uh, by the way, that was the day when it snowed the night before, if you're wondering when that was. And uh, for some reason, I, I hurt my back that morning, and so I couldn't, or that, yeah, purposely, right? No, <laughs> some, for something happened to my back, and it was just like partway out, high up. I don't even know what happened. I woke up, and it, uh, it was just off, and at one point in the morning, with my, my hands were uh, being raised up, and it just, something kind of seized up, and I was like, oh, this is horrible, and this is not good. And then I was kind of frustrated because it was throwing a kink in the things that I had planned for the day. And so I'm kind of, I'm frustrated about that, and I have a talk with Melissa, and she encourages me with some things. And so long story short, I wind up being at home at a time when I was not planning to be. But that led to us sitting down and reading Matthew chapter 2 as a family together. And I was blown away 
by the reality of the God and the beauty of the God who comes to be with us in our mess. And that's what we see very clearly here in, in this text. I'm going to pull on some threads just a bit to show this. And as we, as we went through this, we, we read it, and we just asked the kids for observations, and they shared some things that were pretty cool. And Melissa, one of her observations was the aspect of how uh, these, these wise men, they came to worship Jesus, but they came with money. And just that interplay of worship and money, and we're giving to him all that we are. Because he, he is worthy of it. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And, and so as we, we went through this, and as I was talking to the kids, and I uh, just, in real time, just kind of peeled back a couple things, because one of the things that stood out to me was just the reality of where the Magi had come from. They had come from the east. And, and in the same general area of, of the deportation or the exile. And that's a significant event in the history of God's people. We see it actually earlier in Matthew chapter 1, where Matthew's going through the genealogy of Jesus. And in verse 11, for example, And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And then it's mentioned again in, in verse 12, because Matthew structures his genealogy in specific ways. But what is amazing about this is the, the deportation or the exile, if you're not familiar with it, was like a seriously huge, significant event in the history of God's people. Because he called this group of people, initially he called Abram, we'll get to that in just a little bit, but he calls this group of people and he says, hey, I have got something I'm inviting you into because I'm going to reclaim all of the earth and I'm going to work through you to do it. But unfortunately, over the course of time, they, they kind of lost their way because they gave themselves over to and they started worshiping other gods and idols. And whatever you worship, that's what you're going to be shaped into which again is why it's so significant what we do here this morning and with the word, because that which you worship, you will become like that. And so they were being malformed into other things. And we see this very clearly, for example, in the prophets and things that they are doing, the injustice, the oppression of the poor, the luxurious, lavish living with, with uh, selling people for uh, like the price of a pair of sandals, all these types of things, just egregious things. The reason that happened is because they were not worshiping the true God who is generous, kind, benevolent, they were worshiping these lesser gods who were absorbing and just kind of clamoring after all of that for themselves. And these magi that showed up came from this general area of where God's people were sent to in exile. And it's such a beautiful thing because this reminds us of something that I'm sure you've heard, but the reality is, as we celebrate with the magi, Coming from the same general area as Babylon, it reminds us that the Lord is able to bring good out of your brokenness. Now, I know that this is something that we've heard, but honestly, I don't know that it's really something that we own, or at least we need to continue to own it, because it is so very true. Now, I, I imagine that the Lord could have clued these wise men, these magi, into the birth of the Christ child had the exile not happened. I mean, he can do that, right? He's God. But historically, what we see is the most plausible thing that happened is when they were deported and taken off into Babylon, and we see this, for example, in Daniel chapter 2, and Daniel and his friends being among the wise men and that group of people, for lack of a better term, in uh, the king of Babylon's court and later with Persia. And as they go back later, it's these people from this area that come to worship the king of kings and the lord of lords, the one who was born king of the Jews. And this is seriously significant because we all have a past, right? We all have things that have happened to us or things that we've done. 
And sometimes we can still be bogged down on it or still living in that a little bit. It's just a reality. We all have that. And sometimes the past things can be so significant, and I'm not trying to trivialize anything that's happened in anyone's past, but what can happen is that the past can have such a hold on us that sometimes we can even be anxious for the future because we don't trust ourselves, or we think the same thing that we repeat in the present is only going to continue to happen in the future because the past hasn't been dealt with. Now, I want to be clear here. Jesus sets us free from sin, right? And we're God's child, and our past is not held against us. But guess what? God's too good to not just, let your, not just hold your past against you. God wants to bring healing into your past as well. Because your past that is not healed will continue to hinder you in the present. And when we keep the past in mind like our identity and what we're going to be conformed into with our future, that gives us courage in the present to face the brokenness of our past and the things that continue to trip us up. Because if we don't identify the difficult pain points of our past, it will continue to run roughshod over our present and our future. Because we're going to continue to make and trip over the same things continuously. So we need him to bring healing into our life. And that is a lifelong process. And sometimes that's a good reality check for me, and sometimes it's a frustrating thing for me. Because I, I know we know that this isn't true, but sometimes I just wish that like the Christian life was getting on a, a nice comfy jet, you know, first class, plenty of legroom, actual good food, a movie you want to see or space to lay out, and then you just wake up and you're at the destination. Sometimes I wish the Christian life were that way. But that's not how it works. And in God's wisdom, he doesn't do it that way. Because I think that if, if God were to somehow just take us from where we are to where we think ideally we should be, number one, we would probably be off a little bit. But number two... If we somehow got it right and God just transported us there, we would not have the growth to sustain what we just stepped into. It's not just getting there, but it's even the process of becoming as well, where God does his transformative and redeeming work. I get this from a lot of places in the scripture, one of them being from Jesus and the temptation narratives. Everything that Satan offered him was not bad. It just subverted the cross. Every single thing. And so the ends never justify the means because the means are always a process of becoming. The means you choose now is going to help determine the person that you will be in the future. So we want to be tethered to the past and pulled to the future as well. And a reality is our, our brokenness and our difficulty in our lives is oftentimes synonymous with, with dark and hard times, right? Right? And this is the reason why I even went back to the aspect of the power going out and all the darkness. Because even a flicker of light in the darkest room gives hope. I would invite you to, some of you probably do this or maybe you have in the past, but I would, I would just invite you to do this. And you don't even have to like get up early to do it anymore because it's, it's winter time, right? And the sun comes up later. But just spend some time sitting in the darkness early in the morning 
and just pondering the darkness, even, even ask the Spirit to search you for where darkness is in your life, but don't forget that the light is coming. And just watch the sunrise. You don't have even to watch the whole thing. I mean, it doesn't rise fully until like, I don't know, 7.30 or something like that now. But it's just something about the beauty of the sunrise. And oftentimes I'll sit there, I'm doing things for a while, and then I'll flip off the artificial light so I can see what it's like outside and it's already getting light. Or I'll light a candle, I'll have a solitary candle. And it's pretty precious because our, our kids, well, it's, it's precious and sometimes it's frustrating, but, but our kids just get up early. And so I'm often greeted, our youngest is now four, and she just kind of bounds out, and she's, she's, you know, well, she comes out in a variety of ways, but um, when, when things go well, I just, she comes out, and she just kind of nuzzles up next to me, and I pick her up, and I sit her on my lap, and I'm like, hey, let's look outside. And the lights are off, and she looks outside, and she's like, I see some cotton candy. It's, you know, the clouds being tinted a little bit. And even in that, that's even a reminder, because... Um, you know, we could take clouds for an analogy of the difficulty in our lives. And some of the most glorious and spectacular sunrises are because the sun is ricocheting off those clouds. It can be cool without any clouds as well, but it, it's, just, it's just things like that that I seek to do that help me to be mindful of things, to not be, to be fearful, to help me live more fully in the present. But we want to make sure that we are not tethered to the wrong things. And so again, that's why I'm uh, looking forward and appreciative to this identity series Garen's going to be doing. I don't even know what else he's always going to talk about. I just, uh, I trust it'll be good and it'll be worthwhile for us to dig into. With that, I do also want to say this. When it comes to our past or even our present and the difficulty and the suffering that we're going through, um, don't trivialize what yours is. Okay, because I am fully aware that there are people who have had much different circumstances than I have had and what I would consider to be much more difficult and strenuous than what I have. Okay, and there's some wisdom in that. But yet, what we want to be care of is when we go, oh, but it's not as bad as that person. What we've done is we have trivialized ours and that, in a sense, kind of puts up some roadblocks to God coming and fully meeting us in our mess. Does that make sense? So we don't need to compare. We, we, can, we can let it be what it is. And reality is the most intense suffering is always the suffering that you're going through, if we're honest, right? Because you're the one who's feeling it. So don't minimize it. And keep in mind the reality that our God is a restorative God. And we must never lose sight of that truth. I'm going to continue on here. This next movement here, as we celebrate with the Magi, they're coming from the, the same general area of Abram's journey when it started out. And, and I do want to note here, we're not going to turn there, but if you turn to Genesis chapter 11, uh, and I think Melissa alluded to this during the, the praise part of the service, um, it's not just Abram who came out of Ur, but Abram's daddy started with him. Okay? And that's a beautiful thing, I think. Now, why Abram's daddy only made it to Haran, I don't know. But it's very clear in Genesis 11:27 through 32, that Terah took his family, and Abram is in that group. They left Ur, they get as far as Haran. Now later, the Lord called Abram, and he went from Haran down into Canaan. But don't miss the reality that it was a family journey at first. 
And I, and I find comfort in that because the reality is, as a parent, I want my kid to go further in their relationship with Jesus than I do. And I think we see that what happened here with Abram and his dad. His dad got him so far, and Abram continued on. I like the way Garen says it, something along the lines of, we want, as parents, our uh, spiritual ceiling to be our children's spiritual floor, or something like that. And that's just a beautiful thing. But as we see this here with the Magi, um, whoops, uh, with the Magi coming from the same general area as Abram's journey, where it was, it reminds us that the Lord blesses people so that they, in turn, will bless others. Very clearly there in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, about how the Lord desires that to work. And as we think about families, I just want to invite, uh, invite us to think about, and for those who are single or don't have, or don't have families, you can just think about the, those who are younger that you have influence over, or maybe someday in the future when you would have a family of your own. But just think about what, what blessings or fruit of God do I want to unleash more in my family? And we can do that in a way that is honoring of our family that we came from, but also is honoring of them because why would our grandparents not want their grandchildren to go further in following Jesus and them? So we can do it in an honoring way that is not demeaning at all because no one came from a perfect family. I know our children certainly are not going to leave from a perfect family. But in a sense, that's okay because we trust the Lord to be with them. And because of that, we can be honest and just look at what are some family struggles that I would like to undo? What are some things that I saw in, in, in you know, for example, maybe in generations or some things in my life, and what do I want to continue to undo and just spend some time with that? You could spend time with, um, uh, like, Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit and just not run roughshod through it, but just return to it time and time again. And, and are we seeing enough of this in our life? What do we need to focus on for these next month or something like that, or Second Peter chapter 1 where we're encouraged to add to our faith certain things, or Romans chapter 12 where Paul tells us what love is to look like, and I, I look through that list and sometimes I'm like, oh, whoa, we got a little bit of work to do in, in this area. But again, that's like God's invitation to me. I don't have to beat myself up over that. I can trust this is his good intent. And again, it is a lifelong process. A lifelong process. There's more that could be said there, but I do want to come to this, this last thing that I touched on with our kids, in, in much shorter form, by the way, than what you're getting here this morning, because this morning, uh, they are 12, no, 13, don't tell Ellie I said 12, 13 down, down to 4. Um, but, but this last one is just so beautiful, is how... And it's just the, these threads that weave throughout Scripture, because the last one I talked about was how um, it's the same general area that the Magi came from. It's the same general area of the debacle at Babel in Genesis chapter 12, where rebellious humanity and rebellious uh, spiritual beings were like in league together, working against the Lord's desires. And it's from that general area that the Magi come. And what we see here is that the answer is not in us making our way to God on our own. The answer is not in seeking to make a place for God to be. The answer is not in, in uh, you know, getting the words right or anything like that, trying to coerce God to do our bidding. The answer is reminding that we serve a God, an unseen God, who took on flesh in the person of Jesus and came to be with us. And that is... A mind-blowing, beautiful 
concept. He came to be with us. And in light of that, what I think we really need to continue to work on with the Magi coming from the same general area as Babel in the Epiphany account, it reminds us that the Lord should be given the last word. He needs to have the last word, not what I say. He needs to have the last word, not what culture says. And this is where things with identity are going to come and uh, the rubber will meet the road a little bit. Because we want to believe the things that God says about us, not the things that we could dwell on about our past or the things that culture is trying to hand us. And it's interesting that the number one way that followers of Jesus are referred to in the New Testament is saint. Not sinner, not loser, not buffoon, not, not any, but saint. Now, do you have the tension of us being sinful people who make mistakes? Yes. Okay, but that's not our identity. That's something that we do or we slip into. That is not our identity. So we need to allow God's word to trump what we may think about ourselves. So as I wrap up, and as um, Garen will be starting this identity series um, next week, I want to just offer uh, a few invitations to you. One, I really would encourage you with the whole darkness thing and candles, wherever you can do that. Um, it's just uh, a way of being present and reminding yourselves of some truths. And uh, just the yearning for the true light uh, as well. I've talked about that some already. Another thing I'd like to do is just give a, uh, a little bit of a new analogy uh, for this journey of following Jesus. And with that, I do want to call your attention in your, the seats around you. There's a half sheet. Uh, and all this is, is this is uh, the concepts that Garen talked about last week with the three roles of Jesus. And then he added another one um, with a, a friend or a companion and the questions, all those from the PowerPoint last week. I just put a simple prayer toward the top. Uh, I would encourage you to just spend time with that periodically uh, and go through those things as we go through this identity series. But what I want to ask, uh, invite you into is a new way of, of looking at the Christian journey and transformation and uh, just view it as that, view it as a, as a journey. And, and you're, you're in a vehicle and you're driving or maybe you're on foot and you're taking a walk because the common analogy seems to be, uh, and I've used this myself, but what we take, we take three steps forward and then something happens and we take two steps back, right? That's kind of a common analogy. And there's some value in that, I, I, I think, I guess. But I, I want to offer you what I think is a, a better one because three steps forward and two steps back to me, number one, seems depressing. But number two, that's not how transformation works. Because just because you may have returned to something or made a mistake, that doesn't undo the good that God had done in your life, Right? I mean, when, you're, when children are learning how to walk and they're walking and they stumble, they don't start all the way over at zero again and have to sit there and observe people for six more months, do they? No. They get up and they start to go again. And think about it, you know, in like a, and if, if you have kids, you'll understand this, and if you don't, you at least get the joke, but you're on a journey with your kids and they ask the question, are we there yet? How much longer? And can you just imagine the, the attitude of three steps forward and two steps back being, well, I don't know, kids, that just drove backwards 200 miles, so I guess it's going to be like another four hours before we get there. It's like, no, that's not what we do. And so just view it as a journey. Now, sometimes do we take a wrong turn? 
Yes. Sometimes do we take a wrong turn and we're in some dark alleys and some places that we really ought not to be? Yeah. Can we find our way back to the path? Yeah. And when we find our way back to the path, we're not going to be all the way back where we started either. Do sometimes we go off-roading and like get stuck and need pulled out? Yeah. But again, it's not arriving. It's the process of becoming in the journey along the way. Because guess what? That's the only place where you will encounter the goodness and the presence of God. Okay? If you're only fixated on your past or only focused on the future, you're blocked out to his goodness and his presence with you in either your goodness or your mess that you're currently in. Let me pray with us, for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Um, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for threads woven through scripture. Thank you for people who are here this morning or online. Thank you for people who, who pray for these times and all the work that goes into them. And, and Holy Spirit, we just ask that you will continue to highlight things that are of use and value uh, for us from this time. We want God to be made famous. We want us to look more like Jesus. Um, for our sake, the healing you want to bring into us, but also for a, a world steeped in darkness. Because and for and through Jesus we pray. Amen. And 12th, you are saved.